Hello, everybody, and welcome back. I am the Bull, and this is See the Bullski, the podcast where I talk about leadership, followership, resiliency, wellness, and occasionally other topics like today. Last week, I shared my thoughts on the whole 110% concept, so please go check it out if you haven't already listened to it yet. And don't forget to hit that follow button on whatever platform you're listening to this one on so that you get all of my new uploads. Ironically, maybe you can tell, maybe you can't. Uh, I am not feeling 100% myself today. Nothing serious. It's just this last week really took it out of me, and I've had a headache for the last couple of days and still trying to do a little bit of self-care, but I still wanted to take care of this week's recording, so here we are. Throughout my career and in my current position, I do a lot of public speaking. During my time working in mental health, it was one of the big priorities that helps us share information, promote help-seeking behaviors, answer questions, and generally just other aspects of what we tend to call outreach. I know a lot of people don't like public speaking, and in fact, I think it's one of the most common social phobias, but more and more, the ability to speak publicly is becoming expected. Now, I can't say that I'm the best public speaker, and even after all the years that I've been doing it, I still get nervous like anyone else. I mean, I was an instructor for four years. I still get nervous when I have to breathe. But through experience and practice, I really have grown to enjoy it, even though it does make me a little nervous at times. And I don't think I'm too bad at it. I don't know. So today I want to share some tips for those of you who want to get better at public speaking. Just a little caveat. When I... I did used to teach public speaking, and when I did, uh, we would spend a whole day or two going over everything, and obviously I can't do that here, but I do want to hit on some of the main points, so if you're good about public speaking, or if I meant, if I don't mention something that you were expecting me to mention, just small caveat, like this is like 20, 25 minutes, and normally I would teach a class for two days, so, you know, just little caveat there, but let's get into it. So public speaking is an incredibly useful skill that I think very few, if anyone, is great at it right out of the gate. It takes a lot of awareness, time, practice, and self-confidence to face the fears that come along with it that allow us to become good public speakers. Leaders in particular can benefit from developing this skill because often leaders talk to teams or sometimes to entire departments. So taking the time to develop this skill set can really help you share information in a more effective, coherent, and useful way. But really public speaking can benefit anybody like anybody that wants to speak in front of a crowd or a group uh, whether you're lower ranking in your organization or higher ranking like it's a skill that can help anybody it just depends now fear of public speaking is understandably stressful and quite nerve-wracking i remember when i first started doing it i i remember sweating like crazy before even walking into a room to breathe but there are things that can be done to help deal with those feelings and the first one is to acknowledge that it is okay to be nervous I don't know anybody who briefs or speaks publicly that doesn't get nervous. Me personally, I'm interested in why people get nervous and generally the reason is because people are afraid that they'll look or sound foolish, maybe they get asked a question that they can't answer or that they're not ready for, or they aren't sure how to engage with an audience because it's so much different than interacting with one person versus an entire room. I'm sure that there are more reasons than that, but those are just some of the big ones that I hear the most, so I want to start by addressing these. Looking or sounding foolish, I totally get, and it's probably one of the biggest fears that I have, although admittedly over the years it has gotten easier, but when I stop and think about it, I had that fear, and I guess I still do at times, because I want to make sure that I don't misinform or mislead people uh, or do a bad job, right? A major help for me to get around this fear is the awareness that, for the most part, I know what I'm talking about. So should I really be nervous? I mean, yes, I guess a little bit, but I also remember that nobody in the audience probably wants to trade places with me, and that honestly helps a lot. It's okay to be nervous, and I think part of that nervousness is from a desire to do well, to do a good job. 
but the internalization of that desire can easily go in a negative direction and thus lead to stress. For example, uh, did you know that in many ways, stress and excitement are exactly the same, like how your body responds to stress and excitement is very similar. The only real difference is perspective. So the next time that you have to brief and you feel yourself getting nervous, start telling yourself that you're getting excited and just keep focusing on the excitement, focusing on the excitement, redirect that feeling of stress and that, that cognitive aspect of stress and start putting it in a positive aspect by saying that you're excited, you're excited, you're excited, and see if it doesn't help. I'll, I'll be honest, when I did that a uh, long, long time ago when I first started doing it, it really actually helped a lot. Next is the eternal fear of being asked a question you aren't ready for. I think that's probably most briefers and public speakers like biggest question like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna get caught with my pants down. Remember that there, you know, maybe there is something wrong with me. I don't know. I, I love the game of Stump the Dummy. Not everybody does. I love it personally. If I'm briefing and you ask me a question that I'm not ready to answer or that I can't answer or maybe I just don't know, I get excited because that means that there is something that I can now learn that I hadn't thought of before and it'll help me get ev get even better. And the more that this has happened over the years and the different topics that I cover publicly, uh, the more prepared I feel and the less that I get stumped. But what do you do in the moment when it happens, right? Like let's say I'm talking about mental health services for military members who, you know, I primarily am trained in, that's who I deal with is military members, adults. And someone asks me a question about like psychology for children. I know a little about it, but I, not enough to necessarily feel comfortable answering the question. So what do you do? Like, what would I do? Well, in that instance, I would just straight up admit that maybe I'm not the expert and, you know, depending on the question of what it is, I probably, I probably don't have the answer. I may, but I probably don't in all honesty. But then I would also tell the person, thank you for the question and I'm going to see if I can find them an answer and then I will get back to them. Easy. You know, the big caveat there is get the person's contact info and actually get back to them. No one has every answer, even if they are experts in their field, because so many fields have so many facets that they likely don't utilize every piece, so they understandably become rusty. So if you get caught off guard, just admit that you don't know, or maybe you just had a brain fart and you can't remember, offer to get the individual's contact info and let them know that you will look for an answer and you will try to get back to them. It really is that simple, but here's a very important piece. Don't beat yourself up, especially in the moment. Don't let that lapse in knowledge justify you becoming your own worst critic. Thank the person for the question, make a note of it, and move on. Okay, number three. Not sure how to engage with an audience. Totally understand, it's a lot of people. First off, know who your audience is. Is it strangers? Is it peers? Is it leadership of some kind? How much knowledge should or could they have about the topic so that you can tailor your verbiage to their level of comprehension? I don't mean talk to them like they're stupid or talk down to them. If I'm talking about mental health to mental health peers, obviously they're going to have a better grasp of the background and understanding, and I can probably get away with more job-specific terms and jargon. But if they're, if they're a group of people who don't work in the field, I know I need to dial it down or I need to tone it in a way that you know maybe I have to explain it more because their frame of reference is likely lower. As far as the difference between talking with a person or a group, Honestly, I try to treat any brief like I'm talking to acquaintances. I like to be professional, respectful, and purposeful, but I also want my audience to feel engaged and get a sense that I am talking to each of them individually. I do this by being friendly, making eye contact around the room. Now, right there, you might be going like, well, how do you do that if there's a room of 100, 200 people? 
I look around the audience and I the first face that I come across when I look across, I spend a couple of seconds looking at that individual or in that direction. And then I shift around to the rest of the room so that, so that I don't talk to one side and ignore the other. Now, I don't constantly go back and forth, but I do spend a couple of seconds looking to the left, a couple of seconds looking to the right, a couple of seconds looking in the middle, a couple of seconds looking in the back of the room. I want to try and address and change. And this does a couple of things. One, the audience will think that you are looking towards them, which you are, but it helps that engagement. The other side is, strangely enough, the acoustics will change because you're moving the direction of where your voice is coming from. And so it helps keep people interact uh, interactive because their brain is having to process you know, the sound waves coming from different directions. They're not going to consciously think about it, but it actually does work. Uh, some of the other things I do is I like to use a little humor if I can. I learned as an instructor that if I throw in some small jokes here or there, it helps break up the strictness or the monotony of the presentation. What I learned, and I learned this a long time ago and it has never failed me, is that when I use humor here or there, the audience stayed engaged because they were waiting for the next punchline. And in between those joke breaks, I was able to use their higher level of attentiveness to pass on the information. That's why I was there, was to pass on information. But by throwing in a joke every once in a while and getting the audience to engage and laugh, the audience was listening for the next joke. But because they were paying attention, they were also absorbing the information that I was there to share. Now, obviously, you can't always use jokes depending on the topic. But when you can, try and give it a shot. Even if your joke falls flat, just make fun of yourself for making a bad joke and move on. Again, self-confidence. Understand that some audiences or members in the audience just aren't interested. And while the way you present may bring some people around, some people just aren't going to care. And there's literally nothing you can do about it. So just keep moving, keep going. Don't let it get to you, right? Don't let it eat away at your confidence or your flow. As far as preparing for actual public speaking, start by making sure that you know what you are supposed to talk about. We all ha have had this happen, I'm sure, where someone's here to talk to you and they clearly have no idea what they're talking about and it is the most infuriating and boring thing in existence. What is the topic in your current level of understanding? Now, you aren't always going to be the expert, but you definitely can take steps to ensure that you have a grasp of the information that makes the time you are going to spend worth it, not only for you, but for your audience. So make sure that you take the time to learn about the topic, including potential questions that you might get and try to have answers ready to go. Like generally when you go over information, the better you understand it, I have found. The more you understand the info, the more you're able to kind of gauge what questions are going to come up. And then the more you brief on that same topic, you'll start seeing the same types of questions, which if you take the time to learn, will increase your overall ability to brief and speak publicly because it also gives you that sense of, uh, I know what I'm doing. So that sense of comfort can help keep you going. Also, if you are using slides, make sure that you know what is on them and please try to avoid cramming as much info as possible on the slides. You see this all the time with death by PowerPoint. Slides are supposed to help the briefer, not be the briefer. People usually cannot stand it when a briefer has pages and pages and pages of slides with paragraph upon paragraph upon paragraph of info. If you're going to do that, if you're just going to recite the slides and dump everything on the slide so that it's just cram packed, seriously, just email the slides to your audience and move on. I, I mean, I'm serious. Like you don't want a briefing at that point. You want it to be informative. Just send them the slides. Just email the info. I know that that is an unpopular opinion, but come on, let's be serious. What are you actually doing if you are just reading word for word from the slides? 
The only time that I would say that it is okay or maybe encouraged is if the info that you are reading is really, really important and you can't, you, you do it so that you can emphasize that importance. You know, you do that to, if you do that to everything in the presentation, if you just read word for word because every piece in the presentation is important and you just read verbatim off the slides, you're going to lose your audience in five minutes. I'm sorry. It's just the truth. Meaning that it doesn't matter how important the info is. It's just too much to pay attention to. This ties into knowing your topic so that you can speak to the information and you, you use highlights that are on the slides to identify key concepts while also keeping you on track and on topic. That is the biggest reason that I like to use slides is it helps keep me focused and it helps keep me moving in a nice progression. Next, you wanna make sure that you know where that you are expected to speak. Do you know the location? Do you know the room? How long is it gonna take you to get there? How long do you need to get situated? Is there technological stuff you need to set up? You wanna know all of that and you wanna do a little bit of prep initially so that you aren't rushing or so that you don't show up late. Now, lastly, or getting near the end, how much time are you speaking for? Make sure you speak to your you stick to your uh, time frame as best as possible. And if time is running short and questions keep coming, make sure that you give out info for how people can reach you rather than go on and on and drag it out and out and out. There's only so much time public speakers often have, so you need to be able to keep track of your time and you also need to give away for people that have follow-up questions or concerns or want to have a further discussion can get in touch with you so that they don't feel you know miffed. Public speaking is honestly kind of like writing a paper, like the actual speaking part. There's an intro, there's a body, and there's a conclusion. Within the intro, you wanna have an attention step, an overview, and a motivation, right? Three pieces. Your audience will likely be talking amongst themselves prior to you starting to speak. So you need a way to bring everyone's eyes forward to lock onto you so that you can begin. You need a way to redirect their attention, to redirect their focus. Some people will use a joke. Some people will ask an overhead question to the audience. Some people will just make a statement like, hello everybody and welcome back. Gee, where have you heard that, right? The type of attention grabber will often depend on your own level of comfort and also the nature of what you're speaking to. For example, if I have to do a briefing or speak publicly about suicide prevention, I am not going to use a joke as an attention step because it's unprofessional and it's just not appropriate. Your introduction shouldn't be long because the intent is to just quiet the room and get their attention, right? That part of the introduction. Once you have their attention, make sure you introduce yourself. Who are you? Why are you giving this brief? What are your credentials? Tell them a little about yourself. Sometimes you can even do an icebreaker if the audience is a small group, but please, obviously, do not do an icebreaker for a super large group because it's just not realistic in most cases. Next, move on to the overview, which is just a simple breakdown of the key points you want to cover. Lastly, you want to do a motivation, which is just explaining to the audience why they should care about what you're going to say. Why should they listen? A simple truth is that most people function from a concept called WIFM, which translates into what's in it for me. Now it may sound a little self-centered or selfish, but seriously think about it. Why should they care? People's time and attention are some of the most valuable, valuable commodities that we have. And you're asking people to give it to you. Sometimes people are forced to be there and they don't know why. So it will help you if you can tell them why they should care. Are you gonna be able to make everybody care? No, but you can't control that. All you can control is giving the audience a reason to care and to make the most of what you get. Once you knock those three steps out, the attention, overview, motivation, Honestly, it should only take a couple minutes. You're ready to move on to the bulk of the public speaking, which is the body. 
The body of public speaking is kind of like the body of an essay or a paper. It's the meat and potatoes of why the audience is there and what they are there to hear or learn. It is the actual presentation of the information that you mentioned in the overview. The point of the overview is to prime them to the topic and to get them oriented to the information so that once you start in on the body, they are focused and not caught off guard or trying to catch up with you. Using the slides to help keep you on track is a good thing, but do not overly read from the slides unless the information is crucial. On average, people remember about 10% of what they hear, 20% of what they read, and 80% of what they see. I usually put the most crucial 15% of the information on the slides because it helps the audience not get exhausted of reading everything while also hearing me. And you know, it's less of a cognitive load to remember. So it is a good idea in between main points to summarize key points. Again, that most important 15%. There is something called the recency effect. So I will do a summary at the end of each bullet point of the body. And then at the end, I wanna summarize everything that I said, focusing on that key 15%. That's, I'm, I'm re-explaining it because it might be confusing. That's called the recency, right? Even though I just explained everything, I'm gonna summarize it. Why? Well, basically people often remember what they most recently heard or saw, they remember it the best. So if you summarize the key points at the end, you're reinforcing what they've already heard and also putting it foremost in their mind before changing topics. Some people like to ask questions at the end of segments to help memory formation in the audience. I use it sometimes, but I don't do it too much because your audience can get annoyed. Uh, you can also do random call outs or pointing people out to answer questions for the group. I'll be honest, I'm not a huge fan of that. I know some people love it because, oh, make sure that they're paying attention. No, it just makes people resent you and not pay attention to what you're saying in some cases. And just, just spitting facts here. You know, it puts people on the spot. It immediately makes them feel nervous and uncomfortable. And I don't like it. You know, few people really enjoy it. I don't usually like random callouts, and instead I like to do overhead calls, which is a general question to the whole room to let those who are more comfortable speaking up have the chance to do so without putting people on the spot. Once you get through the main points of your brief, you know, it could be two, could be five, could be 10, whatever, it's time to move on to the conclusion. The conclusion, just like the intro, it has three parts as well. There's a final summary, a re-motivation, and a closing. Now I talked about summarizing in between the main points in the body. Well, you're also gonna wanna do that for the final summary. But instead of doing 15% of each point, you want to do the 15% of the overall presentation. In most cases, that final summary, that 15% final summary is going to be a conglomerate of all of the 15% you did because now you're taking 15% of the whole versus 15% of a part. So just 15%. These are the key points that if your audience remembers nothing else, they remember that. Now the re-motivation is kind of like the motivation that I stated at the beginning, but instead of being why they should listen to you, now it's why they should remember what you said. This is easy to remember the difference because re-motivation starts with re like remember. You've asked your audience to invest their time in you, and the re-motivation is where you can tell what dividends they can expect to get from that investment if they use or remember what you've told them. One of my go-tos for re-motivation is to share a short story, if I have time, on how the information has helped me, or you know, and, and it helps put the information in context of uh, as well of how it could be useful to them. Easy peasy. So lastly, you got the closing. You can do a lot of different things for you the closing, but the general theme is to give out your information again, who you are, where you work, yada, yada, yada. You wanna thank the audience for their time and attention, 
and then you want to move on to any questions from the audience. Generally speaking, you want to make sure that you have enough time for some questions and this can work out for you in different ways. So what I mean is, let's say you've got an hour slot. If you've got an hour slot, time your briefing and format it so that you're done at 45 minutes. This will give you 15 minutes for questions if the audience has any. And if they do, they will appreciate you having that time and not feeling rushed to interact with them and answer some questions. The better, the more questions you can answer and the better you can answer them, the more it helps your overall credibility and it, it helps people remember you because, oh wow, they were so knowledgeable. Now, if there aren't any questions, you can release them early and the audience will be more appreciative to you and they will remember that about you for future briefings and they will stay engaged. So either way, you win. And there's no way you're going to know in the midst how many questions you're going to have. So, you know, I'm not saying it has to be 15 minutes. I'm just using that as an easy example. Public speaking is probably going to be at least a little nerve-wracking, but just remember that that nerve-wracking nervousness is completely normal. But there are things that you can do to help prepare. I've been doing it for almost two decades, and I've been told at times that I'm pretty good. I doubt I'll ever be perfect, but like I said last week, the goal isn't to be perfect. The goal is to just get better. So here's the last little bit of tips that can help you if you want to develop your own social, uh, public speaking skills. Firstly, and probably the most important, practice, practice, practice. Take the time to learn your material and or pre-made slides if you have them, or take the time to develop your slides so that they meet the intent of what you hope to pass on to your audience. When I first started, I would actually record myself briefing or I would go, you know, I, I would go over and brief myself in the mirror. It sounds really goofy, but I would brief myself in the mirror while also timing myself. One of the things a lot of presenters forget is distracting behaviors. This is things like moving around the room or the stage too much or too little, making too many hand movements. Some people like moving targets and some people need a stationary target to focus on. So what I try to do is move from one side of the stage or the room to the other in between main points or to draw the, uh, the audience's attention to me when I'm making important points. Moving too much can be distracting for some people, so you need to find a balance between migrating across the room versus stationary speaking. For some individuals, if you just stand in the exact same spot and never move, for some reason, people just without any movement, they get bored and they'll, they'll start to wander and they'll start to daydream. The other aspect of that is be careful of barriers. So some people will hide behind like podiums and stuff when they speak publicly. Unless you need the podium, get the podium out of the way. Because what will end up happening to a lot of briefers that feel like they need a podium is they end up holding on to it. And then because they're holding on to it because they're nervous, they end up tensing up their whole body. And because they're tensing their whole body physically, their brain will start reacting psychologically stressfully. Just be careful of any barriers that, that, uh, that you do have. It is worth noting that in some cases, you know, you can't move around at all. I understand, particularly if you are speaking to like big wigs or if you're in a small space. So you kind of got to use your best judgment. And this goes back to knowing where you're going to be speaking and getting an idea for the room so that you can gauge your best approach. The other aspect or another aspect of that is what kind of space do you have as far as speaking? So if you're in a whole auditorium, realize you might need to speak up or you might need a microphone versus a small room, you might be able to speak at a normal level. So again, prepare, know your space, know your audience, kind of just know the environment so that you can optimize your, uh, your performance. Now, I said I recorded myself and I do this for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is to look up on any 
movements, behaviors, or habits that I'm not consciously aware of. I also do it and play it back to myself, or I used to, I've done it in a long time, but I used to so that I could listen to my rate, rhythm, tone, and pitch of speaking. I wanna make sure that it's effective and not distracting, as well as I wanted to learn what my stock expressions and my verbal uh, verbal pauses were, because they verbal pauses and stock expressions almost always hurt presentations if they go too far. So rate, rhythm, tone, and pitch all relate to how you talk and deliver information. Talking louder and faster is useful for some info or introducing some humor, but slowing down and lowering your voice is important because it helps draw your audience's attention more intently and it helps them remember key pieces like what I just did. If you try to talk too fast just to get it over with, people are gonna have a hard time keeping up with you and they're gonna end up turning off and ironically, the faster you talk and the louder you talk, the more your, your mouth is gonna get ahead of your speech which can, which can lead to other issues. At the same time, talking slowly and too quietly puts too much stress on the audience to maintain attention. And see, it's already probably happening to you and I did it for less than five seconds, right? They end up giving up. So you wanna find a balance that helps keep the audience engaged and focused when and where you need it the most. If you go back and listen to how I've done some of my recordings, there are times that I speed up and I get really excited. And then there's times when I slow down to emphasize certain points. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Now, verbal pauses and stock expressions. I literally just did one and I can't believe I did it. Verbal pauses, are the ums, the uhs. They're very irritating and they usually occur because we are talking faster than our brains can keep up. So how do you get around this? Pause. If you know you're going on and on or if you catch yourself saying um or uh a lot, learn to catch yourself and to take the time to take a breath, slow down for a second and get yourself reoriented. Again, by recording yourself, you can play it back and see how often you know you do say the ums and ahs and you can end up training yourself to be a little bit quieter over time. Most people don't realize how often they say um or ah, but you're saying that because again, you're speaking faster than your brain can keep up. Silence is not a bad thing. It is not necessarily your enemy and some public speakers are so afraid of silence that they just try to rush through, but the more you try to rush through, the more likely you are to have those uh, verbal pauses. See, I just did it myself. See, once you start hearing it, you can't stop. Oh, it's the most annoying thing ever. Now, spot stock expressions, I just did it again. They are the bane of my public speaking existence. If you go back and listen to this session or any of my other ones, you will probably hear that I use words like so and now more than I intend to typically at the beginning of sentences. Stock expressions are words that are added into speech, but they don't add value. Please don't beat yourself up if you do it too much. We all have them. Some people say right, some people you know, say now, so, whatever. We all have them. And the secret is to try and minimize them so we, they don't become distracting. For example, like if I'm like trying to like explain stock expressions and like I keep saying like, you are going to like get really annoyed and like once you start to hear them, you like, you can't like stop, All right? I'll stop right there because I'm getting on my own nerves and that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but that's what those stock expressions are. And if you've ever heard somebody speak publicly that cannot get away from stock expressions, once you hear them, it's just nails on a chalkboard but we all have them. So again, the goal is just to learn to recognize them and to minimize them. And the best way to do that is to slow down, take a breath, take a quick pause, 
and then move forward. Overall, the idea behind public speaking is we use this rule called the rule of tell them. You want to tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. Intro, body, closing. Remember to take the time to know your topic and practice. Seriously, practice. There are times I still will ask my wife to be my practice audience when I go over new stuff or stuff I haven't covered in a long time. It takes time, but there really is no secret to getting over the fear of public speaking or getting better at it other than taking the time to practice and just keep doing it. Mess up, make mistakes, get feedback, and keep trying. Find people that you know are good. I just did it right there, stock expression. Ah! Find people that are good public speakers and learn from them, listen to them, and then just practice. Public speaking is a skill, and like any skill, practice and putting your practice into play is the best way to get better, but now hopefully you at least have a little bit of info to get you started down the right path. Today, I went over some tips for public speaking and talked about some common fears or concerns. The breakdown for briefing parts, I shared some tips and tricks to help you develop your own approach. I love public speaking, even though it terrifies me, because even though I do it a lot, especially when I was an instructor for four years, I mean, I taught for seven to eight hours a day. I still get nervous. I want you to know that. I do a lot of public speaking. I've been doing a lot for my career. I still get nervous. It's okay. And I think I get nervous and it might be the same for you because I really do want to do a good job and I want to respect the time and attention that my audience gives me and I want to make it worth it to them. And with that in mind, I think it is time to get close to calling it a night and wrap it up. So again, thank you so much for hanging out with me. I hope you enjoyed the session. And if you know somebody who wants to get better or is struggling with public speaking or briefing, please share this with them. Maybe it'll help. Of course, you know, there are classes that you can take, but at least this was a little overview to get you moving in the right direction. So until next time, I hope you have a great Valentine's week. Thanks again for listening, and I will check you out next time.